0: Coming up, J. Michael Collins and a new episode of This Week in VO. But first, with the latest news in the world of VO, here's News Desk with Graham Spicer. Welcome to News Desk. I'm Graham Spicer.
1: Fight my shiny metal
0: ass. And with those words, the hashtag Bendergate scandal was over. In February, Hulu, which is part of the Walt Disney Empire, announced that the cult classic animated series Futurama would be returning for 20 new episodes. Fans of the series, which originally ran on Fox from 1999 to 2003, and then again on Comedy Central from 2008 through 2013, were in a celebratory mood. The release indicated that most of the original cast, including Katie Sagal, Billy West, Tress McNeil, and Maurice LaMarche, had been re-signed to play their original roles. I spoke with Michael Sum, Uber uberfan, and a content specialist at Voquent, about the reboot of the show.
2: First off, I'm a huge, huge fan of um, Futurama. Uh, I have been since I was a kid. So I, I grew up with you know, the voice of John DiMaggio as, as Bender. And to me, as a character, he kind of has always encapsulated that entity on the show. So seeing that Futurama was coming back on Twitter... And being kind of amongst that, it it felt like a very celebratory kind of moment. However, conspicuously absent from the Hulu release was mention of the
0: voice of the irascible robot Bender, John DiMaggio. He had not yet come to financial terms with the producers. Here is some on the issue of
2: DiMaggio's absence from the series and on recasting iconic roles. You know, reading that John DiMaggio wasn't attached to it and there was no... Kind of current deal was extremely disheartening as a fan and and as someone who covers content for uh, voice actors. So seeing that was was quite dis disheartening and very confusing because he's such a breakout character. I mean, John DiMaggio's role as Bender is 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 legendary. In a lot of ways, it makes the show. He's that kind of that character that you. It's not easy to replicate. I feel so seeing that was was shocking and surprising. However it does bring up a lot of interesting questions, right? Like, my perspective regarding the role of it is is less about me and, and, and more about the question of ownership. So when it comes to Bender, or any character for that matter, obviously there are two different types of ownership as I see it. There's ownership with a capital O, so who owns the character, which in this case is pretty obvious. is whoever owns the IP, and, and that would be Hulu slash Disney Plus in this instance. Um, and then there's the, the, the a different type of ownership, which is that kind of idea of someone who has been in a role and made it their own, crafted the character through the voice, it, it, as, as much as an actor on screen could be seen as, as iconic that that's I think that's the important word, isn't it, is being an icon. And the character is iconic, and John DiMaggio has made it his own. So kind of seeing that and um, thinking about a world in which Bender is recast, it was hard to ignore the question of, of, of ownership. And as I alluded to in the article, it's not the first time that it would have happened if they did recast him. Um, someone like Snake, Solid Snake, in, in Metal Gear Solid, which is a video game franchise... Well, the the mainstay voice actor for the main character, the protagonist in that game uh, was David Hayter, who is fantastic in the role. But in Metal Gear Solid Five, they did recast him um, and they changed the entire character's kind of outward kind of attitude. I think that a lot of people felt a little bit uneasy and didn't connect with the character in the same way, purely based on the fact that David Hayter wasn't person whose voice was coming out of the character when he spoke. It was announced in
0: early March that DiMaggio and the studio had reached an agreement,
2: and that he would be returning to voice the Bender character. Obviously, the character of Bender is being played by John DiMaggio. They did reach a deal. He he believed that he was worth more than what they were giving him or offering to give him, and he was clearly right in this case. Um, I don't see how they could have recast someone like like the voice of Bender, to be honest, just based on the fact that it probably would have put me off watching it. I would have watched it just to see who the new person is in this instance, but it, it's a character that's so entwined with, with the character in my perspective that I probably wouldn't have been able to to kind of just sit there and, and pretend that it didn't happen, especially because I, I'm I'm not, as, as many people are, I'm also quite ignorant to whoever it is that's behind the scenes when it comes to animated tv or animated films which isn't quite the case with games yeah it probably would have sent me off (laughs) and you know another thing that's worth acknowledging is this idea of um there have been people who kind of believe that it's it's something related to greed on on John DiMaggio's part which is clearly um, not the case just based on the fact that you know voiceover at the end of the day um, even from my limited kind of marketing perspective, it's clear to me that voiceover is a business and you are as a voice actor in, in some capacity of freelance. And if you believe, genuinely believe that you're worth more and that you bring more value to the show or to any project or, or anything like that, um, and you want or believe that you're worth a higher pay and you're willing to put your cards on the table and stand by that well, the outcome will will prove the answer to to that. And they could have recast it in, but I don't think that the audience would have have been receptive to it at all. And I think Hulu or Disney knew that as well. And that's why they reached some kind of deal. How much is an iconic character worth? I think it's really down to personal decision, right? If you believe that you're worth more, or even in this case, clearly John in his statement, he, he says that, he believes that the entire cast is is worth more. If he's willing to put his flag in the ground there and and stand on that point, then I don't think it's really necessarily anyone else's decision. If if they're happy with what they were offered, that's fantastic. I'm really happy for them. Um, I think everybody should be really happy for them. If John doesn't believe that that's the case, then uh, I, I respect his decision to to go for more because it was a gamble. You know, they could have they could have threw it out and gone with someone else but at the end of the day if he's willing to say I-, I believe that i'm worth a bit more than this and they cave and they give him more then value is is in the eye of the beholder right so they obviously agree on some level that he's worth more
0: terms of the agreement were not disclosed but nelly Andriva, co-editor-in-chief of the entertainment website deadline stated that she had heard the pay bump was minimal in the end DiMaggio's win may have been more of a PR victory than substantive. You've been listening to News Desk with Graham Spicer. Have a story or upcoming event? Email us at thisweekinvo at gmail.com. Get ready because This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins is up next.
1: Welcome to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Each week, JMC will host one of the voiceover industry's most interesting personalities for a casual freestyle chat that encompasses more than just business, digging deep into the guest's backstory and pulling back the curtain on how they became the person they are today.
3: Hey, everybody. It's Jay Michael, and I am back with another episode of This Week in VO. I am thrilled to have uh, one of the real leading casting lights out there as my guest this week. She is uh, someone who was born in California and uh, has just sort of inhabited that world. Old for a long, long time, she's a casting director for Disney and has cast uh, things such as Mickey Mouse Funhouse, Mickey's Tale of Two Witches, Mickey and the Roadster Racers. Uh, shout out to my buddy Daniel Ross on that one. Big Hero Six the series, Baymax Dreams, Phineas and Ferb the movie, Candace Against the Universe, The Lion Guard, Milo Murphy's Law, and a lot more. Uh, she works at Disney Television Animation again in casting and talent relations, and she's been with Disney since 2005. She actually started as a tour director, and we're going to talk about. That and how she worked her way up into casting, uh, but it is my pleasure and honor to welcome to the podcast Kristen Paiva. Hi, Kristen.
1: Hi. Thanks so much for having me.
3: Thank you for being here. And so, okay, <laughs> I I, I got to go to the tour director thing first. I mean, that's that's cool. How, how did how did we get there, and then how does that turn into what you do now?
1: So interesting journey with Disney. it's kind of a great company to work for in the sense that you literally can start as the jungle cruise skipper and, and, you know, work your way up. And I think that's a beautiful thing about Disney. So um, actually I started at the paradise pier hotel, working the front desk um, is where I really got my start at the very (laughs) beginning with Disney. And then I moved into uh, lots of different areas, but I ended up, yes, doing um, working with adventures by Disney as a tour director. Um, And, it is kind of one of those very Disney things uh, where you start off in one thing and you can move into another. You can get TAs, we call them temporary assignments in different locations where you get to go and work in a different location for a while and kind of see how it goes. And sometimes those teams will pick you up. Um, Sometimes it really, really is a temporary assignment where you have a specific term and you go back. Um, Adventures by Disney is one that I interviewed for uh, extensively. They have the craziest interviews. Um, I went through, I think, three three or four, I want to say, before getting to the final interview, which was an eight-hour day. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I've I've had some intense interviews, but this was the most intense. It was a full eight-hour day, which consisted of, uh, you know, speeches. It consisted of luncheons, which we all later learned was part of the interview, but like, duh. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, speed interviews and just intense. And um, it it was crazy. I was one of, I think there was over I think there was close to 1500 um, applicants that year that got through to the final interview. And I was one of like 20 that got selected wow. when I did, and when I got the call, I was like, wait, are we sure? Like, was this a mistake? <laughs> I mean, I'm so excited, but it felt like, holy cow, how in the world did I, did I get this? But it's a really incredible thing. We have uh, tours all over the world. Um, And we host groups of, we, I used to host groups of up to 40 people um, in destination. And we have these incredible trips that are developed for our Adventures by Disney guests. And we're really uh, the, we bring the Disney, if that makes sense. So like Mm -hmm. there's nothing in these destinations that's Disney, right? A lot of people think, oh, so you go to the parks, like you go to, you know, Disneyland Paris and you take people around. No, no. We would go to like Alaska, Ireland, Montana, um, <laughs> Wyoming, and we would take people around and kind of tour, tour them around. And
3: how um, does that tie in with Disney? How does that work?
1: So we we bring in the. Disney, right? So Disney service is a huge one. Um, so bringing kind of that magic. Um, I, I kind of, uh, I think I sold myself in those interviews because I said we're going to bring the the Disney magic outside the berm. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that <laughs> term, uh, but Disneyland is surrounded by a berm to kind of keep right. the magic in. Yeah, so you don't see the outside world. Um, so we'd bring like magical aspects, of course. Jam, we had pins of course, you know, for our pin <laughs> traders, every destination had special pins. Um, and we would just go above and beyond with the service. Uh, there would always be two guides, which is unusual for, uh, you know, uh, different tour companies throughout the world. And, uh, we would just, it was just over the top. Like once you met with us, you never once touched your bag again, except when it's in your room. Um, we'd kind of have handle everything. So it's just like the VIP, uh, travel. And it was amazing. It's, it's amazing. If anyone ever gets the chance, or can afford it um it's really they insane trips and i would highly recommend them
3: well if the, if the casting director thing doesn't work out i need a personal valet and we can talk so. <laughs> uh,
1: i would be so great at that
3: uh, okay well, so so, so- so I, I I have to digress for a minute because you talked about being front desk at a hotel and then and then operating tour groups. Um, you gotta tell me without getting yourself fired what the worst hotel guest at the front desk did, and maybe the oh, worst no. tour guest. Do you do you have do you have any good stories there? Oh boy!
1: Yes, I you <laughs> i'm trying to decide whether or not i should tell them
3: the pg um, version maybe
2: give it a shot. let's see so
1: worst hotel guest oh man i probably shouldn't say this but um let me see how to say this uh, there was a hotel guest that uh had a very messy room shall we say after <laughs> this person left um Bodily fluids were oh, involved everywhere. Oh, um, my God. So um, maybe that's the most peachy version that I can give. <laughs> uh, it was gnarly. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but it. it-
3: Why? Well, I think you do know what happened <laughs> 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 there. What, what about on the tour group?
1: So Adventures by Disney is an interesting product because because you're bringing in the the Disney name, people come into it with extremely high expectations. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think living up to those expectations was really difficult, uh, I will say, and. We have some of the best, if not the best tour directors in the industry, and I will stand behind that all day long. There are incredible tour directors working for Adventures by Disney. So you'd get these folks that would go, have been on four or five, six other trips, and they'd be like, Kristen, you know, you've got got some big shoes to fill by so-and-so. And And it was like, oh my goodness, let me have my own shoes (laughs) and not fit into someone else's. But I think a lot of the issues would come kind of from that, and then from other trips that they'd been on, right? So, so I one of the trips that I I was blessed to guide was the Ireland uh, trip, which. Right just incredible. And we would get folks that would come on there. And, and I will say these, uh, the guests on adventure by, by Disney are upper to middle to upper, upper class. Um, Mm -hmm. And I only bring that up because they, they do have the funds to kind of go do these things. So we would get people that were literally coming off the like Versailles trip Mm -hmm. and you know we're showing them amazing, you know, local places in Ireland that are incredible and, and in their own right, but maybe like visually they don't, match up in someone's mind to a Versailles so we'd literally have guests telling us like um what are we doing in this shack i've i was just in Versailles, <laughs> um so i think living up to expe- ex- expectations was hard um and and that was a huge issue also i was adventure by, by disney uh i was with them i was a tour director on the alaskan cruise it was like a land and sea trip um and that trip people I think the trip just had some issues. They've pulled it since and I think fixed it, but mm-hmm. people get would get so mad at like us as the guides and say horrible things. Um, so oh no. it was just, yeah, but it was like really the trip that was kind of um, it was just hard to, to maneuver. So lots of, lots of stories, lots of stories. That
3: sounds like the whole thing was like four, four, four seasons with a mouse. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) The crew, the crew, I I've never done the cruise thing. I wonder if it's, do you think the cruises are going to come back after the pandemic?
1: I do. I mean, I think it's going to be tough, but yes, I do think that they will. I know that they're gearing up for it. I have a good friend that uh, was a, the manager on the cruise ships and yeah, I think they're gearing to come, to come back. I think they're just going to have, you know, some challenges, making sure everyone feels safe. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, they're coming back. Got a well, couple new ships coming out.
3: Oh, very cool. Yeah, I know they're they're enormous. The, the ships are enormous these days. It's like si- floating yeah. cities. It's crazy. Yeah, they really are, yeah. <laughs> well, to talk about what th- made you decide to get into casting for animation. What's what's the first role you ever cast?
1: You know, I was thinking about back to my start in animation. I, I actually had started in casting on our, in our live action division for Disney channel, um, for the, for the kiddos, uh, casting on projects like Andy Mack, um, Andy Mack bunked and, and, and things like that. Mm Um, I, I was on that team and I, a position had opened on the casting and talent relations team for Disney animation. And, um, They had such an incredible reputation of just being incredible casting directors um, and incredible people that I thought, oh, God, I have to put my hat in the ring for this. Um, Thankfully, I was hired and I absolutely adore my team. And uh, the very first project that I worked on was Amphibia um, by Matt Brawley. And um, we kind of transitioned in and out out of things occasionally, usually we'll stick to with a project because I was so new though. That was my very first project. I was eventually, um, given other projects and that project kind of took off. So I could kind of get some additional projects under my belt, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. Um, new projects. But, uh, the very first role, I can't exactly remember, but it would have been one of the leads on, on Amphibia. It was either, um, Brenda Song as Ann or, uh, Bill Farmer as Hop Pop. Uh, would have been one of the two
3: (laughs) bill Bill farmer on your first time out that must have been an interesting experience
1: uh it was he's an incredible human and so insanely talented so yeah he was just a a standout for that role his the voice he does for hot pop is so
3: funny (laughs) okay it's it's hard to think of him as anything but goofy
1: (laughs) you know it's so funny and i i get that i get that as a casting director though you learn when you start meeting with these these folks like who's got a thousand voices in there. And that's Bill Farmer. He's right. an incredible talent.
3: What do you look for? You speaking of incredible talent, when you're casting for a new show, um, what sets the top auditions apart from the rest?
1: That's an interesting question. What sets them apart? And it is hard to answer. I'll be totally honest because it really will be different per role. Uh, we're looking for very different things for each role that we have. So it, is hard to answer that question. I get it a lot, um, which makes sense. I, I get it. Everyone wants to know, like, what do I do to make my audition stand out? Um, and the, the only thing that I can say to that, a couple things, a of all absolutely do your research. If you know the casting director, if you know the executive producers, if you know the show, uh, do your research. There could be trends. There could be things that, um, you see those executive producers, uh, really responding to, but, I, I would say one of the most important things is to get out of your head. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have no idea what a casting director or an executive producer really wants for the role that's in front of you. You really don't. And and honestly, a lot of the times we are still figuring that out in the beginning because we're creating a brand new show. Um, and it really takes you as the talent, getting your voices in front of us and us going, that's the role, mm-hmm. that's the character. So so get out, get out of your way in, in a sense. Look through the sides and do your ab- make your absolute best informed decision. But stop thinking, what does this casting director or this EP want ultimately when you get there? And at least for Disney TV animation, and this would be true for a lot of different networks out there, but most especially for us, comedy is king. So you're always gonna find the funny in these, in these lines and, and really try to hit those uh, because bring bring the funny. That doesn't mean you have to go out of your way and make crazy, insane, um, uh, you know, improv choices you mm-hmm. can, um, but just work with the material that you have and make it as funny as possible. Um, n- not forgetting those amazing, uh, sounds, you know, uh, farts, sneezes, laughs, all those, <laughs> all those different things just really bring the funny and, and genuinely could mean the difference between, um, moving on as a select and, and not, and that's, that's real. Um, So, so get out of your way, really lean into the funny. If you have great improv, awesome. You can add that in there for us. We're, we're never upset to hear improv. Just make sure that it really serves the scene and it doesn't go on and on. And you don't need improv for every single line. Um, you know, I kind of get that sometimes and it's almost a little bit overkill. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's like not an answer to your, to your question, but kind of an answer. That's the best way. That's I can a good answer. answer. <laughs>
3: and I and I think the the five second soundbite from that is that Kristen Paiva encourages more farting. But I, I digress. So
1: <laughs> actually, real life, I find it very funny. So like know your audience. Yes, I it is hysterical for
3: me. <laughs> it's it, this is this is why we're communic- communicating well here. You have the the soul and spirit of a ten year old boy, and that's that's important. Well, we in this role. Yes. Uh,
1: <laughs> I, I once did a workshop. And I did tell people that I find farts funny, and I couldn't like I don't know what it was, Jam. I just got on a roll, and I couldn't stop talking about farts. And I was like, "Oh my god, this group <laughs> probably thinks that I'm like the grossest human." But I really do find them funny. <laughs> we went on and on. I was like,
3: "Oh my god, how many
1: times did I bring up farts?"
3: <laughs> a lot. Um, <laughs> on that note, uh, speak, speaking of improv, you made an important point there. I, you know, it's I animation really isn't my world. That's not where I play all that often, but I had the chance to, um, judge recently a voiceover competition based out of Canada called the ultimate VO survivor and kind of an American idol style, or, you know, uh, got talent style thing for VO actors. Um, and the anime, the animation talent that were performing commercial reads for me, uh, there was just this, you could tell they were animation talent because they were so big and there were so many extra things thrown in and their animation reads. A lot of the feedback they were getting was you're really, really good, but by God, stop trying so hard. How often do you run into that where people are just doing too much?
1: That's interesting. Uh, And I can see that I I don't work in the commercial world, but I understand that Um, for us look, the trend right now in animation, and this could change, but at present, the trend is a little bit more of a naturalistic sound in animation. Like you could come in with your natural voice and and get cast and just do your natural voice. And that's amazing. That isn't the case for the past, right? You kind of used to have to be a major utility player and come in with all these great big voices. Um, But even saying that it is a little more naturalistic, it is still animation. So you are informing a character that's getting drawn and that we'll see on screen. So we can't see you cry or, or smile, or um, we can't see your tears. So we have to really feel those in your voice. So animation is going to be always a little bit more animated. When you say you know, folks are getting pulled back. I love when people go, well, listen, don't go crazy, but I I love when people go big because that goes, I can very easily pull someone down a little say, whoa, let's, let's back off that a tiny bit, but pushing someone forward in animation is so much harder. So if you get someone that comes in, that's very reserved and is having a hard time kind of getting really big, Mm -hmm. um, that can be a bit of a red flag because it, it's, like I say, it's just so much easier to go, whoa, J.M., that, is, that's, that was over the top, but that's amazing. Let's pull it back. Right. Um, really trying to push you to that place. So for us, that's a great thing.
3: And let's talk about the, you know, auditions that you're receiving. Uh, Disney is not casting on, you know, Voices.com or Fiverr, right? Where are you, where, where are you gathering your auditions from?
1: That is correct. Yeah, uh, because we are union, um, we only hire union. We wouldn't be on any of those sites per se, um, and it it is a really uh, uh, kind of a tough answer in the sense that right now we we have not had any great replacements to what was it, VoiceBank?
3: Right. Yeah. VoiceBank. Voice yeah.
1: Back in the day. Yeah, we haven't found any really great. Um, alternatives to that at, at present? God knows a
3: few have tried.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, they have. They they absolutely have. And I'm, I'm confident someone's going to create something amazing. Um, but we just haven't found anything yet that, that we're ready to use. So at present, our auditions... And it is very sad for us. Trust me, we'd rather have a site to use. But at present, all of our auditions are going out via email. So if if your agency doesn't happen to be on that that email list, which is quite large, um, unfortunately, you're not going to get our auditions. So it's a little tight right now.
2: So
3: is it is it mostly the union shops in L.A.? Or are you sending stuff to Chicago, to New York, to smaller cities? What, what agencies are getting these, if you can talk about that?
1: Yeah. Um. Yes. So there's a, a lot of the larger agencies in L.A., um, certainly New York as well. But I think that our, our lists are are growing thanks to the pandemic. And and that's a super positive thing um, so that our our list, I would say, maybe it hasn't grown exponentially, but it's definitely grown Um and we're including additional agencies. Um, you know, cold, cold call emails or cold call or, you know, blind reach outs are, not, are always hard, but occasionally we'll get reached out by an agency and we, we've seen some of their talent or we look them up or whatnot. And we're like, oh gosh, we need to add this, this agency to our list. Um, so, right now, yeah, larger and smaller agencies in New York and LA for the most part. Um, but there's also some agencies, I think, up in uh, the northern uh, Northern like Seattle, I think we have mm-hmm. on there. So, um, we do our best to try to get them out because ultimately for us, we want as, as many options as possible. And we want those options that we aren't just seeing day to day. Right. Uh, right. but it is kind of, it is a tough thing to navigate because we, we, we are email based right now. If there was a system that I could just click and go, Oh, these look great. You know, that would be super. But right now, email based makes it a little tougher.
3: So you mentioned the pandemic, and the, that brings up the concept of, you know, where people are auditioning now. Obviously, it's been largely home studios for a couple of years. Is that, is Disney back to doing fully in person? Or are you still being submitted from home studios? How does that work now?
1: No, we're not back fully in person. At, at present, the way we're working it is that if talent are comfortable going in studio, great. If we have a, and, and what is that we are booking talent all over. We always have, but it's even more so. Uh, and I thank the pandemic for that. There are some good things um, that came out of this, mostly negative, but in, in the sense for VO world, that has been a major positive. Um, we do have folks that audition from all, all over and we are no longer limited to having to hire people in LA or New York. Um, and, and that largely came from executive producers being like, you know, I just want the talent in front of me. And I, that made sense post-pandemic. Now our talent pool has really opened up and allowed us to find other talent that are that are out there, middle of America or wherever the case, and um, and be able to still hire them and, and record them. So how it works, like I said, if you're comfortable going in studio and we have a studio nearby you that is SAG approved um, in the sense that they are following all of the correct Safety protocols for COVID. Um, then we can book the talent at those studios. If they have a, a home studio system, what we'll do is we'll set them up with our engineers. To our engineers, they're not ours, but you know these inc- incredible engineers that we work with. They'll test their home systems just to make sure that it's got the appropriate um, sound quality for mm-hmm. what we do. And if it does, great. We'll we'll book you. If you're in a larger, well, if you're largely if you're in LA or New York. If you'd prefer to record from home and you don't have a home system, we do have options to send out record kits, temporary record kits. So that's a great option as, as well. But we, unfortunately, at present, it's, it's in uh, L.A. and New York.
3: Very cool. And how many, you know, on an average casting, how many auditions are you going to receive and sort through?
1: Oh, gosh. There are times when we cast a smaller net. Uh, if we have a very specific role or something to that effect, and we know we're not going to get a ton of options back, we might say, go out to uh, some of the agencies that we work with constantly, say, hey, can you send us your top five or something? So maybe on the super low end, 50 or so. Typically, however, we like to cast a really wide net when we're, we're casting for things. So genuinely, it could be, it could be. 300, 400, wow. 600 per character. Uh, and we do listen to every single one of those.
3: And is that, is that a one and done? It's Kristen Piva making the decision. Is it a team decision? How does that process work?
1: That's a great question. So the way our team breaks this down, we have at present around 31 projects that we're managing. Because that's an insane number and not one person could manage that, our team kind of breaks it down in the sense that I'll manage five. Um, one of my other team members will get five, six, seven, whatever the case may be. From there, we will cast that on that project from pilot stage all the way through the end of the series. Um, when those original auditions come in, yes, I'm, we would be kind of the gatekeepers. If my name is on the project, I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the one that's going through and listening to all you know, 3,000 of those auditions (laughs) and pulling out selects. But then what happens is I take those selects, we take those selects and send them over to our executive producers. We're facilitating their vision. Uh, We're trying to find the characters that they need for their show. So ultimately the decision is going to be theirs with our assistance, right? Right. So I'll send those over to them. So here's the top selects. From there, they'll kind of pick through their top selects. Or they're like, wow, this person's a standout, book them. Uh, Does that happen often? No, but it definitely can. Typically what happens from there is we'll arrange a callback, uh, bring everybody in, have them audition with a dialogue director, so a directed audition. And uh, typically from there, that's that's usually what it takes. (laughs) Well, my team might laugh when I say that. That is hopefully the case. But of Mm -hmm. course, there's always going to be those tough roles where it's like, oh, my goodness, we need to do this again and again. For instance, when I cast uh, Fred on Big Hero 6, mm-hmm. we went through hundreds and hundreds of people uh, and and quite a few callbacks. But that was because we were trying to find something very specific. Uh, and it was just, and, and also, you know, T.J. Miller was wonderful. He contractually wasn't able to join us for that show it was the only reason he wanted to, but just couldn't. Uh, so we, we had to kind of find someone that could bring that spirit, uh, wasn't necessarily doing a TJ Miller impression, right. Mm -hmm. But had the spirit of that character and really could step into that role. And it was, we went through a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to finally find that role.
3: And so talk, about the callback process a little bit. If somebody gets a callback for a role, uh, what does that look like? What's, what's the next steps for them
1: in the past? We would call you into our studio and have everyone kind of audition from there. We would have the executive producers in the booth, not in the booth, but in the in the lockout and um and and have you working directly with the dialogue director. We kind of set those up. You get really like ten minutes, maybe fifteen minutes in the booth, um which feels intense for me. I'm so glad I'm on this side of it. like, y'all are amazing uh, doing that. But yeah, 10 to 15 minute audition, you get into the booth, it's directed. Usually we'll have you go through the sides once on your own and then our dialogue director will check back in with our executive producers and see what adjustments and changes they're looking for. And we kind of shoot those off to you and see how you do and move on to the next. Um, it is a very similar system still now in the sense that we are bringing uh, quote unquote, bringing you in for a callback. But that means, of course, some, some folks are coming into the studio and some folks are, are auditioning or doing callbacks from home.
3: Right. And what, once you hire somebody, what what kind of separates the people who become, you know, the next Bill Farmer, the person Disney wants to keep working with for 40 years versus people who are, you know, one offs and uh, and may not get hired again? What's what, what what's the differentiator there? It's
1: a great question. I think. A lot of casting directors have an ear or have an eye. I know my colleague over at Disney channel live action. She, Michelle Calderon, I'm going to give her a shout Mm -hmm. out. because She is amazing. And that lady had, has an eye, she can identify talent and go, that's that person right there is going to be the next big star along with the incredible Judy Taylor who headed up that team and just recently retired. Um, They both had incredible, incredible eyes they were responsible for folks like Zac Efron, Miley Cyrus. I mean, they've, they're incredible. They've got the eye and the same can be said in animation. You have the ear, you can hear it. Um, I don't know how to articulate what separates folks outside of, we really can hear it. I suppose when you throw notes at people and they can make adjustments on the fly and in Get exactly what you're looking for. Um, There's just a magic that happens. Um, I was a part of the group that helped to cast Andy Mack. I talked about that. And I know that's Mm -hmm. not animation, but I just have to say that was sort of a magical experience. Um, Peyton Elizabeth Lee walked into that room and read that role. And I still get goosebumps about it. She was the one. She was the exact person for that role. And and that's hard to articulate, right? Because it's sort of... You can't really put your finger on it. Someone just walks in and you're like, holy cow, this person is talented. Um, so that's a, not a great answer, but uh, it, it is really hard to pinpoint that.
3: It's a great answer. Well, can you can you give me maybe like we did with the hotel stuff? Do you have a um, very generalized names have been changed for the protection of the people involved <laughs> version of of some talent that did something that made you go, yeah, that's the last time we're bringing them in, and maybe vice versa, some talent that did something that made you go, yeah, we want to bring this person in as as much as we can.
1: You know, really, genuinely, I haven't had a lot of. Super negative experiences here in in animation, and that's real life. I, I think that's cool. Work with a lot of exceptional people, exceptionally talented people. I guess there are times when people kind of come in and are maybe a little bit gross in the sense I had a <laughs> they I fart, be, or <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> okay, um, no. as long as they're in the
3: booth, I'm learning the rules here. It's
1: <laughs> as long as they're not standing next to me, it's perfect. Um, no. I, I guess I do have one. And it was, it was actually a general that I did. So a general appointment, not for an actual open role or anything that I was casting. And this gentleman was not new to the industry. He had a wonderful career, but he kind of came in a little bit, oh, what's the word? <laughs> just a little <laughs> over the top, a little bit uh full on himself. And I, I thought I thought
3: was- you were gonna say hi. So I'm glad it was <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, but that would be amazing. No, he just kind of was very full of himself and um, bombastic and just kept talking about how great he was. And it just felt a little yucky to me. And I just thought you could be the great, but just be humble, like be mm. great, but be humble. And I know generals can be tough because you're really trying to put your best foot forward, but be honest. It didn't make me want to hire that person. And I haven't, and I don't think that I will Mm -hmm. because it it feels very much like what might happen in a session. And if we have people coming in that feel entitled to things or, you know, like they should be getting more this or that, it's just not going to be a great work environment. (laughs) So I guess just be humble, be cool. Um, don't be gross.
3: (laughs) So the the request for a jar of green M&Ms and only green M&Ms is not acceptable.
1: Oh, my goodness. I worked talent relations for parks for nine years. Let me tell you, I have some store about writers. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Is real life. Some of that stuff. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Do you guys ever, you know, we're in the era of of social media and everything kind of being out in the open about people. Do you ever take an actor's social media presence into consideration when casting for a role, both kind of the, you know, the stuff that they post and also how many followers they have?
1: That's a great question. And the answer for me is no, I don't particularly care if you have a massive social media following that doesn't mean that you're going to be a great vo actor right? right so it for me personally it doesn't matter but there is a caveat to that i could go you know someone could say oh kristen go check out this person on tiktok they're doing great things i might go there and see what what you're posting and if i think that you could be great in our world i might bring you in um right so so mm-hmm. there is that caveat and then there is also the caveat that for our like our pr teams and stuff those things are going to matter a little bit more cuz when it comes to promoting the show you might be a really great person to kind of help that right if you have a massive mm-hmm. following but that isn't going to that really isn't going to change how we feel about you or that whether or not we're going to bring you in you could have zero things on your resume and get the role if, if you are the right person for the role, you'll get it. And you could have millions of followers and get the role. It, truly for our casting team, that's not a reason to hire someone. It's about the talent and it's about the creative.
3: Very cool. Um, and I, I think that's reassuring to a lot of talent because I think there are a lot of talent out there who are, you know, being told that they have to just scramble for a social media following. And that's not always the case, right?
1: Yeah, I hear that a lot. And, and it is hard because... Would that be helpful? Maybe it would be helpful for some things, but not for us in in getting the role. And and it could be the case, Jim, where other networks do look at that. You know, I can't speak to those, but I can tell you Disney TV animation isn't solely looking at your Twitter following and going, oh, this person's going to be great.
3: All right. What, what about, did you, I mean, do you guys uh, vet the people that you hire? Do you go on their social media and make sure they're not, you know, wing nuts on either side or or, uh, (laughs) (laughs) or causing any other kind of trouble?
1: That's another great question. And the answer is yes. Yes, we do. Uh, We do. We're not gonna like dig in. We're not gonna do like a background check and like dig in and and be like, oh man, this person evaded that tax bill that one year. <laughs> you know, like none of that is is happening. You, you, can happen- get, you can get
3: a commission if you report them. You know. I hear sn- snitches get stitches, but that's what right, I digress. Right, uh,
1: right. <laughs> true true, true. <laughs> uh, but no we, we don't dig super super deep but absolutely we, we will go look at you know your, your social platforms and such because of course we have a responsibility to our audience I mean if you're out there posting uh, general opinions and such like that that's fine but you do kind of have to watch um what you're doing a little bit if, if you want to be on Disney where we're, our audience are kiddos and yeah. if we hire you on our show. Eventually they could certainly go to your platforms. And if, if you're out here saying all kind of crazy stuff that that's not going to, it's not going to go well. So we will look at those things. Absolutely. Um, but again, we, we don't go too, too crazy, uh, but we, but we will, we will, we will look. Yes. <laughs> so just to, <laughs> Be all PC and stuff. <laughs> if
3: you want let's uh, let's kind of wrap on a general note. Let's talk to um, two different kinds of voice actors out there. Talk to me first to talent who are uh, fairly new to the business and who are dreaming of working for Disney, let's talk about what they need to do to to start taking steps to make that happen. And then let's talk to talent who are already earning, who are maybe already full time in voiceover, but haven't quite gotten to that level yet. But that's where they want to play. What do they need to do to take the next step?
1: Yeah. So for new folks coming in, I think the most one of the most important things, and uh, I hate recommending things that cost money. I really do because I know that we're out here as actors trying to get paid and not pay for things. Mm -hmm. I, I do get that, but I can't recommend workshops enough. They really are genuinely incredibly helpful and can help you develop as an artist. But not only that, they get you in front of dialogue directors in the industry, casting directors, agents. So you have that opportunity to get in front of someone and show them what you can do. And also, alternately, if you are genuinely just trying to figure it out and see if you want to get into this and if you have the chops to do it, these are great to get that feedback and get kind of that help working on different sides and things. But I would just caution... Look into those. Just like you research everything else, look into those. Mm -hmm. Make sure that when you're booking those workshops, it's actually with someone either that worked in the industry for a while, currently works in the industry, so on and so forth. And also, maybe not somebody who
3: finished 20 years ago and hasn't done anything since, right?
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, because they just might not be up to date on the current trends or what's going on in the industry. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And and also, I would just look at the cost, right? If they're asking an insane amount, don't, don't do that. And also if they are guaranteeing work afterwards, Mm -hmm. that should be a huge red flag. That's no one can ever guarantee work. That's not real. Yeah. So run from, from those. So I think workshops are extremely important. Coaching can be extremely uh, important, you know, one-on-one coaching. And again, that sucks. It costs money, but it really is helpful. And I would suggest doing those things before you start looking into getting an agent or getting your demo done, because Mm -hmm. Don't go and waste money because those things can be expensive and they're hugely important. But don't go wasting money before you know if this is really a lane that you can kind of uh, jam in. So I, I guess that would be my advice for new folks starting off. For the people that are already earning and just want to kind of get in with some of these bigger um, networks like Disney, kind of a similar answer, really. I I just did a workshop uh recently and i met two folks well actually my entire workshop this last one i did was incredible they were incredible talent and they're working in the industry um they're doing great things for other networks and i just had never had a chance to meet with them I- i'd seen their auditions come through and certainly occasionally some of these folks were maybe getting into select select groups but really getting in front of well, in this sense, me, and I don't mean to be gross and saying that, but getting in front of me in this sense was like, oh my gosh, this person's incredible. Look at all this stuff that they can do. So those workshops can really be helpful. If you want to work for Disney maybe find some, some workshops for the folks that are, are out there doing them, that work uh, that are casting directors with Disney, or that are dialogue directors with Disney. Um, Kelly Ward, Sam Regal, you know, all these, Eden Regal, these great people that are, are uh, you know, dialogue directing for us because they know what we're looking for and they, they can kind of help you. And if those folks offer coaching, that could be really helpful too. And I, I know that kind of is a, a lame answer because it was sort of the same for both but there's, I, I can't reiterate how beneficial they are. We talked about the great Bill Farmer. He still does auditions today. He's been goofy and Pluto for, well, goofy for sure. For 35 years, we just celebrated his 35th anniversary and he is still taking workshops. When I first started and I saw that, I was like, Bill, what are you doing? And he's like, Kristen, like, there's always things to learn. I'm not ever going to just be done learning and i was like oh well duh (laughs) um sure that makes sense so those things can really be helpful and it keep you keeps you on top of the trends keeps you um informed of what each network is doing Uh, i often in my workshops talk about like what our trends are what we're looking at and those can be super super helpful to you as as an artist and, and getting in front of you and then also our team in particular jm we go out pre-pandemic, but this will, we'll come, we'll get back into it. We're talent scouts. We go out to improvs, to stand-ups, to plays. We go everywhere. We're looking for you. So if you're out there doing these things, that's super, super important because we will find you and other people will find you too. We're not the only network that's out there doing this. So, you know, once things get up to, <laughs> to normal, um, if you're, if you're into those things, if you know, your improv stand-up go do them because chances are there's going to be someone in the audience that's looking for you.
3: Uh, and uh, speaking of which, Kristen is coming to the Euro Retreat in Barcelona, which you can't come to because we're nine kinds of sold out, but uh, maybe next
0: time. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and, and, what uh, it but- means.
3: But we we are we are hopefully going to bring her to the One Voice Conference in Dallas uh, to do a read for a director yeah. and some other stuff. So uh, if you get the chance, come out and check that out once we start announcing the lineup. Kristen, thank you so much for your valuable time today and for being here.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure.
3: The pleasure is all mine. And folks, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, you know what time it is. Here is Kayla.
1: You have been listening to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues on social media. If you do, JMC might just send you a lobster. Now here's nobody trying to sell you anything, because that's just how we roll. Stay tuned for a new podcast most weeks throughout the year.